Welcome to the Science and Paranormal with Dr. Yana and Dr. Elliot, where science meets the unexpected, where we delve deep into the mysteries that straddle the line between scientific inquiry and paranormal. Get ready for a mind-altering journey as we embark on this phenomenal discovery together on United Public Radio Network 107.7 FM. All right. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome, everyone. (laughs) Welcome to Science and the Paranormal. We're broadcasting live from the United Public Radio Network the UFO radio network 105.3 and 107.7 FM from New Orleans and also on uh, Roku TV. Tonight we have a very special guest, don't we, Dr. Yana? We have a fantastic guest today. Not only that she's fantastic, she's gorgeous. She oh, is beautiful. <laughs> so we are so fortunate to have you, Stevi. It is. You, your name is unusual and your last name is <laughs> so beautiful (laughs) thank you she's the host of truth or demons a podcast and a youtube show that takes deeper look into the model world of the paranormal and beyond on her show she digs up old cases investigated by the warrens and takes a deeper look into the truth and facts surrounding them she investigates places, people, and evidence, just so important to find all the truths and present them to her listeners and hopefully to us today as well. She also interviews people who have had direct connections and experiences with the Warrens and their organization to shed some light on what it was like to be in the field alongside Ed and Lorraine Warren and how things are now as a result. Was it truth or demons? Welcome, beautiful woman. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We're looking forward to this incredible conversation. Yeah. We've got our first fan, Eric uh, Vitale. Eric! (laughs) I love it. He used to be a member of uh, the New England Society for Psychic uh, Research. uh, Yes, he did. He's been been a major player in helping me with the podcast. His uh, guest appearance ignited uh, just a landslide of people contacting me, wanting to be on the show or like recommendations, like for people who, who would uh, be good interviews that could talk about their experiences with the Warrens and with Nesper. So when you created <clears throat> Truth and Demons podcast, what, what was kind of your purpose behind creating it? Was it, were you a fan of the Warrens and then it kind of led into the direction that it's gone now or tell us about that? So what started me on the journey was the movies. Um, I grew I grew up with a, a pretty intense interest in the paranormal, thanks to my mom and the stuff I would see on TV. And then when the Conjuring film, the first one, came out, I thought it was phenomenal. And the story was so good. And the whole fact that it was based on a true story, you know, got me thinking. And after watching it, I knew... Like, I know how movies work, and, of course, they fill in some stuff, and they make it a little more dramatic, and they change some stuff. So my curiosity got the best of me, and I had to know the real story behind it, and it 
it turned into this deep dive into so much information. And I, and I knew about some other cases from before, like uh, the haunting in Connecticut movie, the, the, the boy with cancer, that's actually a Warren's case. And I knew about that and didn't know it was a Warren's case until I started researching more. And I've, I've uncovered so much. I've found so many like really amazing people involved and it's been really fun. You've actually tracked down some really interesting people in the Ed and Lorraine Warren world. You've actually yes. tracked down um, the original owner of the Annabelle doll. Mm -hmm. You uh, tracked down the reporter that uh, reported on yeah. uh, the Annabelle doll. Um, tell us about some of those experiences. Well, that's probably my favorite one. So my, my Annabelle journey, actually, um, I did an, an Annabelle episode. My second episode was on Annabelle because chronologically the stories, that's where it would kind of go. Their first major case that they, that they published and they talked about was the Annabelle story. So I started there and I covered what, you know, the general knowledge on it. Um, I, I didn't get a whole lot that people didn't already know. So it wasn't much other than I did learn that, um, it's very, the story itself is very similar to that Twilight Zone episode with the, the doll um, and the mom's name being Annabelle, the character's name. So I found that out and didn't know that. But then I, when I interviewed Eric and then I had Frank on, I was contacted by a Nesper member named Dan Rivera. And he told me a really tall tale that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't accept as truth. And that led me down the rabbit hole of Annabelle. And that's how I ended up finding um, someone shared a news article with me from the 70s that talked about um, the Annabelle owners that called them by their real names, which we all know them to be Donna, Angie and Lou or Deirdre, Lara and Cal, because depending on which publication you read, they changed it in 2012. And so this newspaper article had their real names, and it was my first time ever seeing those names. So I looked them up, and two of the people had passed away already, but one of them was still alive, and I was having a hard time finding her. And then I got an anonymous tip, because I get a lot of those randomly. People will message me and want to be anonymous, but have information for me. And so that led me to her. And though she did not want to talk to me, she did speak with someone who helps me with research on a public post and admitted it was her doll and that the story was wrong, but that's as far as she would go and she will not talk to us. So that's interesting, but you did track down the reporter that wrote yes. that from the 1970s. Yes. She, I almost forgot. She also, <laughs> she also had some um, interesting things to tell you. Well. Yes, it was really exciting to find her because it was so long ago. And uh, just the fact that she was still working and willing to be interviewed was fantastic. And she was so she was so nice. I loved her. And she told me about how the Warrens contacted her. She worked for the newspaper and they wanted her to write this piece for them. And she went and met with the women, um, the, the original owners of the doll and the Warrens. And she was even given permission to take the doll with her to the news studio to photograph it for the paper. And she claims, even though it was a little creepy and unsettling, nothing happened to her while she had that doll alone in her car. And one of the notorious stories is she causes accidents. So that was pretty interesting. Very interesting. Um, it's, uh, it, 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 I, I've told you this before off, off camera that, uh, 
you should have went to like journalism school because I think you would have <laughs> made like a, an amazing investigative journalist. But um, you've taken this podcast, like the research for your episodes to the next level from what I've seen. You know, uh, you track down these witnesses from historical cases uh, belonging to the Warrens. Um, like you said, people are tipping you off with information here and there, almost like a, they will to a news reporter. Yeah. Um, where do you, where do you see uh, this, your podcast going in the future? Um, I mean, right now you've got episodes about Annabelle and mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, touch a little so, bit on that New England society for uh, psychic research. Where, where do you see yourself going with this? So I'd really like to complete all of the major well-known cases and documented cases of the Warrens, as in like what's published in their books, what they've made movies of, um, anything people with first-hand accounts can tell me. And then once I've covered all that and I've my main goal with that is to put all the truths out there I can and then leave it up, of course, to the leave it up to the public to decide how they feel and what they think about it. And then once I've covered all that, I would really like to expand to other subjects, other cases, other investigators, other people in history. Um, I'd really love to cover Hans Holzer, Holzner. Hol I can't yeah. remember his name, but yeah. Hans Holzer, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a big part in influencing the Warrens. So I think it would be really fun to cover him too. So I would really like to branch out to as many stories and get the <laughs> truths in them as I can. That would be interesting um, to do uh, some work on Hans Holzer's involvement with um, the Warrens. And he has this daughter, Alexandria, that you probably know of uh, that's involved in the paranormal and a paranormal investigator. So I'm sure uh, you might be able to track her down. I know she's on social media. and uh, Yeah, that would be really fun. That would be interesting to see yeah, where that goes. Now, um, what's, your, what's your thought on on the Warrens. I've always, you know, I, I've always been a supporter of them. Um, you know, I, I thought their work was interesting. Um, I've got several other books. Uh, obviously I know, um, you know, being a, I've been involved in the paranormal investigating and researching it now for 27 years. And I'm also a law enforcement officer. So or was a law enforcement officer for 15 years. So I know that some things, you know, are dramatized and, and things like that. But from what I have seen, with the Warrens is they were really about publicizing their work. And in some cases, and I think um, you even cover that off in one of your episodes about them getting um, contracts with people and, and meeting with Hollywood producers and things like that about some of the cases that they were, mm -hmm. what, what, what did you uncover about that kind of darker monetary side of? of yeah. So when I went, when I began this journey, I did have a very strong opinion of the Warrens that I did try to keep, you know, to myself a little bit because I don't want to influence anyone else. But I really did see them as frauds. Um, I didn't know a lot about their work, but I did know a lot about the stuff that was being debunked about them and then some of the far-fetched tales and stuff. And then when the movie started coming out. But when I started interviewing people and talking to people that experienced them, there are two sides to them, I believe. There is the side that was after the fame and fortune. I fully believe that that was a goal. Um, I think it was more of a like, kind of like a pipe dream to begin with before they realized it could really go somewhere. And I do believe, um, especially after speaking to some people, that they did mean it when they said, said that they didn't take money from people and they didn't want to take money from people. Their money was made in their books and their lectures. So I think... 
most of the time they wanted to help, but I think it kind of got clouded a little bit with their, their need to be in the limelight and how much they loved it. Cause they really did start to love it. I think. Interesting. I've also heard uh, stories from other uh, investigators and if you haven't talked to them yet, uh, um, one, one investigator was uh, Carl Johnson. Uh, he's a demonologist in the new England area. I'm not sure if you've come across him yet, but I can point not you yet. Um, Okay. He was a student, uh, student paranormal investigator uh, one time, and he had a case with the that involved the Warrens, and the Warrens kind of pushed the other investigators out and kind of didn't like to play nice in the sandbox, as we yes. say. Um, have you come across any other stories like that about the, about the Warrens? Yes. Um, one of the most famous ones would probably be Enfield. Um, even though they didn't push anybody out of that, they really did try to take it over. And they, the, there were several people that said they tried to take it over by offering money, um, especially to like Guy Lyon Playfair. They told him they could make him a lot of money if they would team up. And he said, no, that's not you know what I'm about. And so they kind of failed with that one. But they did offer, you know, a lot of people will make you famous. The parent was the parent family was another example. Um, they tried really hard to get them to give their rights up for this story. And, and they told them, we'll make you famous. We'll make movies. We'll make money. And Andrea's mom, come, you know, she just kept saying no. And so and then um, uh, I know that they they did not have a hand in the Amityville one. But I think they got ideas from that because of the talk about making a book out of it and then how they went along and did and went ahead and did make the book about it. So I think yeah, they Eric, watch and pay attention to that stuff. Eric just reminded me it was uh, the Perrin family haunting or the conjuring house uh, that um, Keith and uh, his brother Carl uh, were initially involved with. It was a kind of a paranormal investigative group associated to uh, might have been the University of Rhode Island. Um, but, okay. uh, I'll definitely put you in touch with him because, uh, yeah. again, another, I was very disappointed to hear that, I, you know, cause like I said, I'm a fan of the Warrens and, and their work and, mm -hmm. uh, their legacy, you know, in, in demonology, but, um, <clears throat> every once yeah. in a while you start hearing like these negative stories. Yep. Stuff. And I kind of, I kind of feel a little bad because every time I do a case, I'm not intending to burst anyone's bubble with their, you know, like for the Warrens and stuff. I really don't want to upset anyone, but unfortunately it's a side effect because the more I uncover and the more truths I share, the harder it is to kind of like keep that idolization of them because it's just hard to, you know, I mean, you thought they were one thing and then you find out that they're definitely not. And it's kind of hard. Like the whole don't meet your heroes thing. They tell you not to meet your heroes because you'll be disappointed. So it's kind of like that. But the truth can be damaging and it's also very uncomfortable. Yes, you know, true. So we should not be really afraid to uncover the truth and uh, speak up because right. uh, who else if not us, Right. And I'm so proud of you for doing this work because other people are not. And look at the Warrens uh, and at the time when they started their uh, entire, well, I can't really say business, uh, but the, their involvement into the paranormal. And uh, if you look at it uh, with everything that you just mentioned so far, you don't want to go out and say, oh, I have had uh, the um, experience with the paranormal, with the demons, and I'm just going to go out there and publicize it all, right? 
I've noticed that, that only people who are not, who are hiding the truth or who don't have anything to do with the truth, that they are going to go out, come out in fact, and uh, create the stories or just take one story and take it for a spin and publish a book or just go yeah. out and become absolutely uh, famous because people like lies. They prefer lies. Yes. Not that many people prefer the truth. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the, the war and how many people say that the oh that the, they are the real deal and a lot of them uh, try to just completely debunk them uh, like in many cases uh, as well as in the Amityville mm -hmm. uh, you would think that who in their normal state of mind would want to go into this kind of a business, guys? Nobody. Because <laughs> when I spoke uh, to Father Gary, who was uh, the protagonist of the movie, The, the Right, uh, he lives here in the Northern California. He told me uh, that movie is uh, actually about the exorcist of... Uh, not many people who are familiar with that. Uh, he was the exorcist in the movie. And based on true events, so Father Gary told me that Yana, who in their right mind would want to go into exorcism? Nobody. But yeah. if you're put into onto that path in life, you have to take it. So they did, they took that path. And uh, I like to read biographies and their biography is absolutely incredible. And you can see the truth there and authenticity. <coughs> so we are not here, in fact, to persuade anyone or offend anyone. Uh, we're having a conversation and we're uncovering what we can uncover and present it. And which is marvelous. So I'm very proud of you for doing that. Thank you. I'm really enjoying it too. I've had so many great experiences doing it. That's, that's great. And I mean, I, I fully support that, uh, you know, uh, especially one of our, one of our uh, built into our mission statement at paranormal phenomena research investigation, the nonprofit organization that I'm the corporate director for is to um, provide factual, you know, evidence-based education to the public um, in a world, like I say, that has still has a lot of misconceptions, frauds and abusers involved mm -hmm. in it. Um, you know, we talk about uh, mediumship uh, being one of those issues. Now, I'm hearing a lot of stories about mediums have switched away from doing um, that one on one private reading because they can only do so many a day, almost like a psychologist seeing a, a client to now they do open uh, group meetings where they're charging, you know, 125 bucks a ticket to come in and they might read, you know, still four or five people within the audience, um, but they're selling oh, out. And Yeah, uh, well, just wait, Dr. Elliot, they're going to employ AI technology. Oh. <laughs> just wait, it's going to happen. Oh, it's my gonna goodness. Happen. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not surprised at all. So I think that it's important to uh, do the type of work that you're doing, you know, which is just kind of clearing up any sort of misunderstanding and, mm -hmm. um, you know, any sort of mis misinformation. Um, yeah. Now, I know you, you, you uncovered literally uh, with your investigative journalism skills um, about the accident story surrounding mm -hmm. Annabelle, because that's one of, you know, the big important um, stories behind the haunted doll Annabelle is that, uh, you know, don't touch her, don't touch the case, you know, don't yeah. invite her, don't talk to her. Um, you know, she's been known to you know, cause people injuries. And the one story that gets repeated is this motorcycle accident that happened. So what did you uncover about about this story? Because I find this one absolutely fascinating. 
This one it has been so much fun and such a ride. Um, so initially, when I did my very first uh, look into Annabelle, I did you know learn about the motorcycle accident. I'd heard about it before. Um, it's it's their biggest claim to fame to her power, and. As you know, like being into investigative journalism and how you deep dive into the internet to find everything you can and you get deeper and deeper and you usually find evidence of things, especially if it's something that would have been reported on, like an accident. It would have been in the newspaper. It would have been reported on. There would have been an obituary. There would have been information on it. And for years, people, not just me, but people have tried to find this evidence of this accident and no one's been able to find it and so when I was contacted by Dan I told him because he starts telling me the story how he witnessed the accident when he was eight years old and that just to me it, it was too much it was really such a tall tale it did not feel like a genuine story I just felt like he, there's no way and so that fueled me to investigate it a little further and I ended up contacting because he told me if you want that information, you can't just find it on the internet. It's not going to be on internet archives. It's the kind of thing that you have to walk into the library yourself and look in their archives. And so I decided to email them because I can't just go into Connecticut libraries at the moment being, you know, in Nashville. So I emailed them and they were so helpful. They actually told me they have no record of any such accidents. They, they contacted other libraries for me to, you know, find out if they had them. Nobody has any record of this accident. And so then I found a Facebook group of um, people who grew up in that area in the 70s and 80s. And I posted an anonymous post to see if anybody remembered an accident like that. Because I feel like if that happened, people would remember. Someone passes away and the passenger survives and it was supposedly caused by this haunted doll. Like, that would be something people would remember. That is so, so incredible and ingenious of you, by the way. Thank you very much. I just, I, I was like, there's got to be someone out there that does actually have these eyewitness accounts, you know, if they happened. And so while I'm trying to see if anyone's heard or seen anything about this accident, someone decided to comment and tell me that that particular road that Dan insists it happened on was not operational to the public when Dan oh. said it happened. And then because they told me that, a friend of mine helped me locate the records of the construction, and it was not built until 1982 in February. And Dan claims it happened when he was eight years old in 1980. And he's very emphatic about those two facts, eight years old and 1980. So if you're going to tell a story like that, I feel like maybe you should check your facts first and then maybe not be so adamant about your dates and stuff like when you remember things you usually say well I was between you know eight and ten you know that would make it would sound more genuine and sincere so were you Close ever a memory event perhaps <laughs> yeah exactly I was thinking the same thing yeah you know if he if he did witness something like that he's obviously clearly got got his facts mixed up um mm -hmm. you know and there, and there could be some psychological reasons you know behind that like like Dr. Ian absolutely said. false memories the information about the motorcycle crash, I believe, is in the book, uh, The Demonologist. Yes, I do believe. Yes. It's been a long time since I read it, but I do believe it's in there. Um, do you think that that's where that information came from? Or So, I believe that, um, I believe it's a made-up story, first of all. And I believe that Ed himself made it up. And mm. I believe that the whole story of Dan witnessing it comes from his really intense want to be a part of the Warrens and their legacy. And 
To further his tall tale, I've actually been told by more than one person that they were around Ed and went and Dan didn't come around until after Ed had passed. And they say they never heard this story until Dan started telling it. Hmm. And so no one else had heard it, heard, heard Dan, you know, like share it until he decided to start telling people publicly that it was something he witnessed. So it just, it, it feels like a, a, an attempt to be a part of something. Very so it is absolutely important to, to check your facts and not just be so gullible and believing yes. everything. Because yes. even in the movies, uh, not everything is factual. Mm-hmm. We must understand that. Although, for example, in The Conjuring, of course, they are, um, what, AI, got to be smart here, effects, right? <laughs> <laughs> But, and a lot of things were made up. However, now, Stevie, was it pretty much to the uh, reflecting the truth or not? Okay. So if we're talking about the first Conjuring film, which was the Perrin family haunting. Originally, I fully believed that this family experienced a haunting. And then, of course, the movie made it Hollywoodized. They made it... Um, more intense, more, uh, they changed things that were really random. Like one of the things they changed was, so as Andrea tells it, her mom uh, would wake up or the clock stopped at like 5.15 a.m. And then in the movie, it's 3 a.m. Because that plays on that narrative of the witching hour and such. Absolutely. So the movie changed those little bit, those tiny things. But then when you talk to Andrea, she says that, the only thing true about the movie is a family moved into a haunted farm and everything else the movie made up. And as far as what they experienced, it was completely different. Of course, uh, Carolyn never got possessed. Um, there was never an exorcism. That's a big misconception. People believe 100% there was an exorcism because of the film. And I'll have people tell me, oh, no, no, there was an exorcism. She got exercised. And I'm like, no, <laughs> there was a seance. Um, they tried to call forward this this entity they believed was needing banished which they they claim was Bathsheba and that's a whole other situation um a lot of people are really really upset about Bathsheba she was a character that was brought into the story that history was completely rewritten and falsified and she was turned into a villain that she was not in real life and there are some people very very upset about that it, it even went as far as um uh, Bathsheba's headstone was vandalized after the film because people thought she was an evil witch and they tore down her headstone and so there's actually um, a woman I've been working with I'm going to do a, another episode to cover some more facts and some more history that I didn't I wasn't aware of when I started and her name I think her name I think you pronounce it Jamie but Jamie actually did a fundraiser and she raised enough money to replace Bathsheba's headstone. And so she's helping me um, recover it so I can write her history. That's that's very fascinating, Stevie. I know um, the Conjuring franchise itself is is huge. I mean, I I myself am, am a fan of the movies, even though, like you said, you know, it's loosely based on <laughs> real cases. Um, you know, the done and valak and all that stuff is just completely yeah. hollywood yeah yeah but, um, super super big franchise uh it's made a lot of money um overall i would say with all the movies uh the, i think the last number i heard so all your annabelle movies the nuns uh 
the Conjuring movies. They've made over $2 billion. So huge, huge industry. I know that um, when I was uh, investigating my case in, in Rhode Island, uh, a haunted house in Exeter, Rhode Island, um, I drove by the, the Conjuring house uh, and uh, it was owned by the old lady that uh, sued the Warner uh, company. Yes, uh, because there were just so many trespassers coming. They had signs everywhere it said like if you even stop in front of our house we're calling the police like because they were just being bombarded by paranormal tourists and it's one thing to drive by the house but they were having people like sneak on the property and of course things like that and that would be very very scary you know i wouldn't want people sneaking on my property especially and kids and family and stuff like that um especially if they think there's a demon in it (laughs) yeah yeah no no for sure and they They've since uh, sold it. I know it's changed hands once or maybe twice now. And mm-hmm. um, whoever owns it now, I mean, it's they're they're using it again for monetary purposes. They yes, they uh, charge ghost hunters and investigators to, to come in and, like you said, you were actually looking at renting um, the Conjuring House out and, and traveling to uh, Rhode Island and and doing almost like a Truth and Demons episode there. Yeah. And there was all kinds of rules about uh, live broadcasting and, yep. and extra money that it would cost and yeah. things like that. So it's it's definitely um, you know a money maker, and you have to be very skeptical and critical when you're dealing with something like that because you know that's one of the things we used to look for. You don't see it a whole lot anymore now in uh, the field of, of parapsychology, but that was one thing that you would look for is people that were media hungry, people that were looking to monetize off their investigation. So those would be generic questions that we still ask to this day. But again, usually uh, people look at you like, you know, when you say, did you contact anyone from the media about this? And they look at you like you're crazy. They're like, mm-hmm. no, you know, they don't even want to tell you about yeah. it, let alone, you know, make it public, um, you know, so very very interesting did you ever um have time to look into uh the ghost boy photograph from uh amityville because we've heard yes multiple different things um you know it was taken by an investigator that was working uh mm-hmm. while the were there uh some people believe it uh was possibly um the spirit of one of the two little boys that were killed in the house yep um either uh, John or Mark, I believe, is usually who that's attributed to. Uh, some people have even gone as far to say that it's a visual pareidolia, which is a mm-hmm. psychological condition where our mind, um, yeah, tries right, to yeah, sense, you know, nonsensical things, so that it's just somebody seeing this face here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've heard even stories that it was one of the investigators with the Warrens yes. that possibly peeked his head out and. And it got caught on the infrared film. Have you been able to dig anything up on uh, on that? So nothing further than what you um, elaborated on. But uh, the one thing I did find interesting was um, out of the handful of people that I've interviewed or spoken to even, on, you know, off record that have had experience with Amityville, half of them believe it's a real uh, a spirit. Half of them believe it's a genuine spirit that Ed caught. Um, half of them believe it was uh, the crew member because they they like to compare that compare that flannel T-shirt or uh, button-up shirt that he was wearing. He had glasses on, so they're saying that like the reflection in the eyes. Um, there was a big argument with Ed over the eyes. There, I saw an interview where someone tried to tell him that uh, 
the eyes reflected the light. So it meant that it was just like a camera flash or whatever. And he argued adamantly that no, that was a sign of it being an inhuman spirit. So I disagree. I've seen plenty of like photography like that where the eyes are whited out for various reasons, you know, night vision or flash or whatever. So that's definitely not true. But there are a handful of people out there that believe it's a genuine capture. So I'm still up in the air on that. I, I, I honestly think it could be any of them. It really does look like the guy with the shirt. Like it could be him. It really does look like it could be one of the little boys. The nose is very distinct. So it just seems like it's so, it's so hard to convince your mind of one or the other without, you know, knowing for sure, because that, that one really stumps me. And it stumps a lot of people. I get asked that a lot, actually. And that's one I'm not sure of. I can't do I think, it. I think if you could crack that one, that would be really, really cool. Um, it I'm, not would, sure, yeah. I'm not sure if the investigator um, that people say it possibly is, if he's still alive or not. Or Oh, I should look into that. Yeah, and see if I can find him. Because yeah, I'm pretty sure his name will be listed in the people that were there. It should be, yeah. Yeah, that would be really interesting to track him down and, and see what he thinks. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I've never seen anything public where he's admitted that it was him. Yeah. It, and also yeah. about him, he did say, um, I watched a lot of the interviews, like because there was a news crew and that um, reporter, um, I can't remember his name, but I really liked him. He was really funny. But he did say that on the way up the stairs, he got um, heart palpitations. And that could be, you know, an interference with something going on in the atmosphere, paranormal-wise, or it could be nervousness. So... Yeah, it it most certainly uh, it most certainly could be. Um, I do think it would be yeah fascinating if you could uh, if you could crack that one. Uh, that's yeah, I'm gonna that, put him on my list. I'm gonna find him. Yeah, it's <laughs> always it's always intrigued me as well because, like I said, he the investigator. Like if it was me caught in a photograph, uh, I would come. Right. You know, yeah. I would know that was just me, guys, or whatever. It probably wouldn't have even made it out to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you definitely know, would wouldn't want to be knowingly involved in anything that was faked i would be feel really wrong about that yeah and, and i mean it, it happens uh we had a we had a case uh last summer where uh my professional photographer so on my team i have a commercial photographer so he goes through all our uh photographs and looks for interviews. and he actually caught one at this haunted house we were investigating and it looked like um a man you could clearly tell it was a man was coming out of the bedroom and uh you could just kind of see this kind of plaid shirt and uh blue jeans but it was uh semi-transparent and he thought that that was really interesting messages me and sends me the photo to look at and after looking at it i'm like oh you know what that is i said um that was the owner uh of the house i said he must have just come out of the bedroom at the exact same time i took the photograph and then when mike looked at the metadata he said uh it captured uh, like the light at 0.4 like milliseconds or whatever. So it makes sense that he was kind of blurry and translucent because it was just such a quick opening. So it made total sense. So you just never know. Like, and that was unintentional, but again, um, I did share it with the homeowners. I said, Hey, we caught something cool on the camera, but it's not paranormal. And you know, they thought that was really cool that that we shared that. That is really cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I have, Oh, go what ahead. It, but what did the, 
used to be we had just regular cameras with film guys and at that time it was actually possible to prove something correct but now with the digital world mm -hmm. we are not going to be able to prove anything just to look at it and remember how it used to be and uh distinguish whether that's truth or actually demons or angels because yeah. i see it so many times people are posting uh in fact ai images claiming mm -hmm. that it is true and you can actually yeah. see that those are some historical buildings and i know from having the frame of reference that uh, i know that those are not correct ones that just ai image and people get offended they yeah. don't get offended and yeah. uh, with that truth uh, uh whether we want it or not we have to speak up Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm in a couple of different random Facebook groups where people share things they think are paranormal. And a woman shared a photo one time. And it's it's a photo of two dogs staring down a hallway and they're very alert and there's nothing in the hallway. But if you zoom in on the photo, it it appears a face is peeking out about human height level around the corner down the hallway. And if you zoom it in enough, you can clearly tell it's like a cut out image that's just pasted over top of the image. And so like I told him, I was like, this is a layered photo. And if you know anything about Photoshop, like um, I work a lot with like modeling and photography and stuff. And there's a ton of Photoshop involved in modeling and photography. And you Absolutely. can see during editing your layers as you're lay layering colors or you're like you want to cut out this part of your image because of the background being off or whatever. Like you can tell the layers. And so when I tried to explain that to this person, they got so upset. They're like, what, what kind of expert are you? And I'm just like, well. I mean, I'm not trying to be an expert. I'm just trying to help you understand why that it's not real. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, a lot yeah, of the that's... times that people would not even want to hear that because, yes. as uh, I mentioned before, people prefer lies uh, because mm -hmm. of that uh, then they can uh, uh, entertain themselves in a possibility. And then it's really difficult to hear the truth that there is nothing there. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time it makes people when they find out something's not true, it really upsets them because then they question other things that they might not have questioned before. And some people get really uncomfortable with that. Too about, um, you said you did modeling and, and with the Photoshop. Um, there was a photo I used to show. It, it doesn't have as much relevance now anymore uh, because of AI, but there was a photo I used to show of my niece and nephew. And um, the only thing that was real in the was them and the clothes that they were wearing uh, had been completely generated, including uh, looked like they were sitting on a dock and you could see the reflection in the water and you can see, you know, the ripples in the water. All that was fake. I'm going to try and share it. I've never done this before, um, mm -hmm. but I will just try and see if I can share it. I'm not sure if I can or not. No, I can't. I'll have to ask. Um, I want to ask Michelle how to do that so we can start sharing like some images and things like that. Cause um, it, it was really cool, but um, yeah, it's and now with AI, you can do that within seconds. So yeah. there's not somebody just sitting in a photo lab, like, you know, like you said, airbrushing and stretching things out and fixing up pixels and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Before I even retired from the police, law enforcement was actually having difficulty trying to determine um, what was, fake digital evidence and mm -hmm. what was real so um we do live in a dangerous time it's almost become and i i say this now in my lectures 
that uh, seeing is believing now. Uh, you know, before they used to say a photograph's worth a thousand words. Well, now it's not worth anything. Video's yeah. not worth anything. There was just a news article I read uh, this week where um, a finance worker paid out $25 million fake, uh, deep fake video call from the chief financial officer of a company. Wow. And it's the type of technology that uh, that we're facing now, right? So, yeah. Um, you almost have to witness the paranormal phenomena yourself now in order to uh, to believe it. I, yeah. I see all the videos too on TikTok, and you know people send me them all the time. They're really fascinating to watch, but there's just so much that you can fake now. Um, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, uh, I have a lot of friends that like to send me the TikTok videos, and almost instantly you can usually tell the fake ones, like the really obviously fake ones. And I'll have friends and family be like, oh, no, I really wanted that to be real. I thought you'd love it. And I'm over here, you know, pooping on their party. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so interesting that people, a lot of the times, they would want to experience all those paranormal events yeah. that they hear about. Nevertheless, uh, I'm confident that uh, if they came into contact with something like the Raggedy Ann doll, they will be completely terrified. They probably would have literally a heart attack mm -hmm. because a lot of the times those things are not pretty. They are not fun. And not just you only see that, you can actually experience the horror. Mm -hmm. You have different the physical uh, manifestations uh, and it's absolutely not pretty. I um, The reason why I even believed in this ragged at all um, and uh, story because I had it in my practice as well. Not, not that I was in a possession of that doll, but that happened to one of my clients and uh, they called me with a hope to find out what was happening with their 10-year-old son and it turned out to be that when I came uh, onto the scene, what happened? I started speaking just like Dr. Elliot. I came to the scene. <laughs> I came to the scene. <laughs> yeah. So when I came, that in fact uh, turned out to be a little doll. I have no idea why uh, a boy would uh, um, be presented uh, um, a doll to his birthday. So I just, I don't know. People do different, the strange things. However, what happened is that that doll was actually store-bought. Nevertheless, that doll was actually possessed and had a different spirit. And that was really not pretty. It was, uh, I would say, nasty. And even being in the presence of that thing was very uh, horrifying, I would say. So when we try to actually go out there and chase the paranormal. I know that there are a lot of shows chasing the paranormal. We're going to go to the haunted houses and we're just going to catch the glimpse. In fact, when they come face to face with something like this, they are going to be horrified and they will just run out of that building. I'm confident about it. So while we do want to... Uh, really see and come into contact of something strange and experience that ourselves to tickle our nerves. Our nerves can get uh, uh, tickled um, so much that we may never be the same and could mm -hmm. get a PTSD from that experience. And mm -hmm. not all of us are strong people, right? Some are pretty um, weak uh, with different uh, nervous um, conditions so we should uh, avoid actually chasing the paranormal because uh, it may have consequences like you said Stevie. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's, I think that's the biggest problem with the, the Annabelle story is like you said, like if you come in contact with something like this, that's legitimate. It is terrifying. It is not something you take lightly or make fun of or anything like that. And something like that isn't just contained the way Annabelle is. It isn't just set, you know, in a, in a case and it's fine. It's, you know, exploit around the world and put people's lives in danger. If we're really talking about a haunting, like that's a little irresponsible, but yeah, like if it's real and it's happening to somebody, it's not the same. It's not sensational. It's not, you know, screaming from the rooftop rooftops. Look at me look what I'm going through. It's scary. Yeah, and you you make some good points, and I, I see some uh, some memes kicking around Facebook about uh, you know like how how much the doll is promoted as being you know super haunted, super evil, um, and then you do make you know a good point that they're traveling all over the place, you know, with this doll. Uh, they flew it out to Las Vegas to go hang out with Zach Baggins, and um, now they're uh, they bring it to the Warren uh, Paranormal Conference every year, and then. Mm-hmm. Now I saw that they're doing uh, some more events outside of uh, outside of Connecticut there. So, uh, yep. you know, uh, they're certainly carting carting around uh, this uh, doll where it was promoted by Ed himself. Mm-hmm. You know, not to ever touch it mm-hmm. or acknowledge acknowledge yep. the doll. So, yep. <clears throat> very and, very interesting. Yeah, and to further that, they're now taking more items. Um, they've made a whole tour of the items that were never supposed to leave the museum. So that makes it even harder to accept these things as true scary possessed items it just it it becomes more and more of a a circus kind of yeah no no for sure i i've got some uh i've got some haunted items uh myself and uh i've only taken them uh once to an event that uh we did and uh i'll cover that off here in one second but right now Everyone's listening to Science and the Paranormal, and we're broadcasting live from the United Public Radio Network, the UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM out of New Orleans and also on Roku TV. And uh, tonight we have a special guest with us, Stevie, who runs the Truth or Demons podcast. Um, so with yeah, with, with my items, I, I took um, a haunted monkey that... <clears throat> Uh, had, had a backstory that uh, basically there was a, a, a family in Missouri that ran a flea, uh, kind of a flea market and they would get called to estate sales and they went to um, this uh, estate home that was being cleared out and there was a really creepy monkey that's got like these baby hands and like furry and just like really, really cre- creepy. Um, and the two sisters just wanted to get rid of this, this uh, doll. So um, the son... Uh, that works at the flea market there. His dad owns it, uh, had taken the doll home. And uh, he and his girlfriend claimed that um, they'd come home from work and it would be found in different places. And one night they said that they thought they saw its head turn. So the girlfriend just said, like, we don't want, you know, I don't want this doll in the house. So they they locked it up in a case and uh, then he was looking to get rid of it. And um, I had seen it on a, a paranormal kind of Facebook group. And I did some research on the um, uh, flea market company to see if they've sold haunted items. And they actually hadn't, they hadn't talked anything about the paranormal or ghosts or haunted items or anything like that. So I uh, contacted them and ended up making shipping arrangements to, to have it uh, sent here. And 
I've never had anything happen with it. I don't have any cool stories. It just has a cool backstory. My wife uh, works uh, up here full time with with the the doll. It was on a, a, a TV show called Repossessed, and um, the like I said, backstory is more cool than the actual doll because it, it's never done anything to us. Uh, same thing with a haunted uh, painting that I have. So a lady was going through. Uh, really rough time and when she does go through rough time she normally expresses it through art and there has been um, you know some parapsychological research done that art can capture intentions and energy and things like that so she had painted this really cool uh, very red bright painting and it had a door in the middle a brown door and for her it was uh basically a story saying that uh you know she's beaten drug addiction and she's about to walk through this new door and start like this new kind of chapter in her life so once she had painted it and put it up on her wall it wouldn't stay hung up on the wall it kept falling off the wall and one night actually flew off the wall and hit her husband and then um she decided to go online and she was talking to people about how to get rid of it because she thought that it was haunted and so I had reached out to her and she wasn't looking for money, but I had offered, I said, listen, I'll, um, I'll pay for the shipping costs of it. So she said, okay. So the next day she went to Staples to go get the shipping package and she was almost T-boned as she was going there. Um, so she goes there, she gets the items, she packages it up. She leaves it in her van and she says, you know, I'm going to go to the post office the next day. So I'll just leave it in the van overnight. She sent me photos the next day. Someone had actually tried to break into her van. They ripped the door handle off the van. Um, they could, they smashed out a window, never took the painting, um, you know, just took some loose change and things like that. And then while she's at the post office, she's trying to ask me, you know, how she wants to send that, how I want this sent because, you know, there's overnight, which is probably like $2,000. And then there's, you know, five days, which is like $500. And then there's like, you know, it might get to you sometime this month for $12, $12 or whatever. So I <laughs> mm. said, uh, you know, um, that, that's a bit of humor there, Dr. Yana. <laughs> oh, okay. So now it's time to laugh. Okay. <laughs> sometimes but, uh, you got to tell me. Sometimes you got to tell me. Okay. Yana, it's time to laugh. <laughs> but uh, no. Uh, so I told her, just send it the cheapest possible way. But while she was trying to communicate with me, her phone kept like glitching out and it was resetting on her. And it, it was quite a process. Um, needless to say, I've had it in my possession and uh, it's actually hanging up on my wall. Um, for those that can see it, uh, over there. And then actually there's the monkey too. The, I see the monkey. There. He's just sitting there chilling too. So, um, I haven't had anything happen. I did, um, I did, uh, bring it to one event, uh, didn't charge people like to see it or anything like that. It was just part of the event. Um, and it, it had the backstories. Um, and there was one more item there, which I don't own. Uh, my, my colleague does Daryl Walsh. He had a rocking chair that rocked for three oh. days um, during World War II when his uncle was killed. And it took three days for the uh, telegram to arrive. So the rocking chair, after he was killed, they didn't know he was killed. It just started rocking on its own for three days straight. And then um, three days later, when the telegram arrived, they realized that he had died. And then once the telegram was delivered, it stopped rocking. So that we had that item um, at the at the event as well. But I this, hate rocking chairs. 
<laughs> yeah, rocking chairs, because it actually happened to us as well. After you finish your thought, Dr. Elliot, I'm going to talk really? about my own rocking chair. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, just my final thought on it is that, um, you know, now you see what's happening with uh, haunted items now. They go to museums like Zach Baggins Museum, for example, uh, which obviously must have a donation or an admissions fee, I would assume. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. I've never been there myself, and then of course um, I've been to uh, I've been to one of the Warrens events. They didn't charge to see the items per se, but now I know uh, they actually sell tickets specifically if you just want to go see the occult museum type artifacts now. Um, so that certainly changed. I think I mm -hmm. went and saw them um, in Connecticut back in uh, would have been. 2018 i think but it's certainly changed since then like mm -hmm. you said now there's more items being traveled around and and uh it's kind of a subculture of the paranormal mm -hmm. now you know haunted yeah. items and making money and, off haunted items. and i think it's uh, a, a big part of it was the fact that they the museum itself was shut down for commercial use it was um it became a problem for the zoning of the neighborhood for people to be parking on the street and coming to the museum. So I think that's what led them to creating the traveling shows and the cons and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, because, you know, and, and I did read the same thing. It was basically, they didn't have a commercial zoning. It was in a res residential area. The parking um, was really bad and there was issues about the uh, fire trucks if they needed to get in there mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and then it makes sense, okay, if we can't do that, either they should open up a, a commercial museum or Agreed. like you said, doing uh, road, like road traveling uh, trips. And um, but then it goes again to the question, if these items are so evil and so bad, yeah. you know, they're taking and every time, you know, the, the doll is put in the vehicle, things happen, tires fall mm -hmm. off, flat tires. And yeah. how come you're risking out? Your, your life, basically, each time you yeah. travel with items. Yeah, we don't understand. and We don't even want to pay attention to that. We uh, want to travel. We want to show it off. However, mm -hmm. there are consequences to that. And uh, we have to weigh the positive and negative and actually see whether we do want to get involved. I know that the, the warrants, uh, they were easy about it. They just knew that the, those who are not involved in those cases should not be touching them. Uh, even themselves, they didn't touch the... Um, although, no, there is a picture of, uh, mm -hmm. I believe, Lorraine holding yep, that doll, <laughs> actually. Yep. Yeah, but the, there are ways, I believe, to even... Um, talk to this items because mm -hmm. they are not just the regular physical items there are uh, spirits and entities behind them right um uh, tell your story about the rocking chair because then oh, I, I'm, I'm hitting stevie with a few more questions while i got <laughs> oh, sorry about interrogation that. yes there. yes interrogation exactly <laughs> yes but that uh, when we think about um rocking chair on any kind of haunted uh, objects it's not necessarily like a sensation that uh, we are experiencing uh in the book that i'm getting ready uh to publish there is one of the occurrences in the home that i used to live and that was one of the rocking chair when everyone would be downstairs, including the guests that would come to our house there would always be this noise in one particular room of the rocking chair 
And we would all run upstairs to see the who the hell is upstairs in our own home. And we would enter the room and the chair would be rocking on its own. That is actually the creepy side, people. It's nothing of uh, uh, not alluring at all. And turn out to be that there was a previous owner who died in that room. And evidently she really liked the new, it wasn't really new, but nevertheless, it was not her right chair so they can use any uh, items that they find alluring and use them and that makes sense yeah that makes sense exactly and one uh that uh, dr elliot mentioned of the pictures haunted the pictures as well that uh, in fact and I want to hear your opinion, Stevie, on that uh I had um an experience with the uh, uh icons with Christian icons that we used to go as a tradition, our family, to the Russian Orthodox Church here in the United States. And uh, once in a while, on just great holidays. However, there was a, a time when the icon was brought from Hawaii, which is supposedly was a miraculous icon. And so many people were just flocking to St. Louis to see it. And we were not an exception, of course. Who doesn't want to go and see the miraculous icon, right? <laughs> that you can get healed immediately, right? So we went, uh, our entire family. And interestingly enough, that icon again just like that doll that i described that was a printed icon on at the factory it was just a printed one it wasn't any of the old ones it was a printed one and it was printed in hawaii and uh, there was mother mary i don't remember exactly uh what kind of mother mary there was one but there's so many different kinds in uh, the orthodoxy so what happened to that, uh, they would give people who came to visit um, a little cotton swab with the oil that would be coming from the icon that they would be collecting. They would be with an image, little image of that icon. And as we brought it home, for three nights, our entire family had nightmares the most awful nightmares. Nobody slept. And it was so horrifying because it would come to you. And even if you open your eyes at night, if it just was me, that would be one thing. But that icon would be just flying in the air, just coming onto you, intimidating you. It was so horrible for three nights. I thought, okay, like the first night would be okay. The second night, but the third one was really horrible. And I had uh, uh, even to ask the priest what's going on there. And of course he mentioned, oh, there's something going on in your house. Uh, no, there was nothing going on up until this uh, uh, image came uh, into our house. So I had to get rid of it. I just put it all in the bag and I got rid of it. Uh, outside of the town, I put it in the bushes. However, every time, years after I would be driving by those bushes, it would still be there and I could see that bag, you know. However, every time that I would pass it, it would give me this horrifying feeling. So it wasn't just an object. It was a very unpleasant object with whatever demonic attachment that it had. And somehow it was really sold to people as something divine when it was not. 
So wow. all of the uh, crazy experiences that they disappeared after I got rid of uh, uh, the images, of course, and the, the Scotland's robs. But uh, have you ever heard any stories like that? I have not, not specifically like that, but I have heard that there's a lot of paranormal energy and power in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting that it would be f- that they say it was from there. Um, there's a lot of uh, folklore about uh, uh, bad energies in Hawaii that will kidnap you and take you. And, you know, you don't venture off too far into the jungle or whatever and like stuff like uh-huh. that. So that's what I was thinking the whole time is like maybe it was someone who was practicing in that kind of thing over there and they were trying to, you know, d- d- in disguise present it to other people in a way that they would accept it and then it be invasive like that that is that that makes a lot of sense that makes now you have to go see if it's still there out of the road and send it to me i'll pay the shipping (laughs) yeah or you just pay shipping for everything no i don't want to go back to missouri ever again no 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 i'm done i'm good i'm good here in california guys i can visit you in canada i can go to tennessee but I'm not going to back to Missouri. No. <laughs> seeing that bush again, guys. <laughs> um, no, that's that's interesting. No, I if if somebody if I do see somebody uh, trying to get rid of something, um, you know, I, I I certainly offer to take it off their hands, and uh, we keep it here at the the office uh, safe, and uh, that way too we can also kind of study it because if stuff does happen, then uh, you know we are interested in that. As, as yeah. a parapsychologist, unfortunately, uh, the uh, the two items I have have never um, never done anything. Um, but the question I have for you is that there's some really interesting uh, things, and I noticed uh, tonight in the chat a lot of people are talking about John Zaffis. Mm-hmm. Um, so John Zaffis uh, is connected to the Warrens because he's family, mm-hmm. but. It's almost like they've cut him off and he's kind of on his own. And then there's another agency called the uh, Warren Legacy Foundation where a gentleman named Chris uh, McKinnell claims uh, that the Warren Legacy Foundation for Paranormal Research was established uh, in collaboration with Lorraine Warren and he claims to be a grandson. What have Mm -hmm. you dug up on on that and uh we know that for a fact um that uh, the new england society for psychic research does not like the warren legacy foundation they're yes. often posting that uh this is not associated to them and not associated mm-hmm. to Ed Lorraine warren what can you tell us about this strange family dynamic happening here there seems to be quite a war happening. Um, the deeper I get into this, the more I learn about it. Um, I did know of John when I started this, it's simply because I did the the history on the Warrens, their personal histories. And John Zaffis is the nephew of Ed Warren. He is Ed Warren's twin sister's son. So he's a very close relationship relation to the Warrens, to Ed himself. And then, of course, then Chris, the grandson. He is, in fact, a grandson. Um the war that is going on. Um, so the Warren's Legacy Foundation claims they established themselves with Lorraine's assistance to further the actual mission that Nesper was on because now it's, it's you know, off track and under new leadership that's not going so well in a lot of people's opinions. And the fact of the matter is they're both 
not really doing great work for the paranormal community. Um, there's a lot of back and forth about the lying. Um, Chris has come out a few times in interviews saying the motorcycle accident definitely didn't happen. That was a lie, but this definitely did. And in my opinion, some of the things he said that happened didn't happen. And then there's a, there's a lot of buzz around um, Lorraine's final years in the field. She was not, hundred percent there mentally. She was suffering mm. from some aging and some dementia and wasn't capable of leading and making decisions and being a part of it. In my opinion, I don't think she should have been anymore. And then there's this, all this rumor and hearsay that she was kind of exploited to create these avenues and to make money still. And there's a lot sense. of, Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of negative things being said. It's really sad. And I, I plan to address them all as, as as delicately as I can on the show. I just – people are going to be angry. There's – the things I'm hearing, um, the rivalries that are happening, the he said, she said that's happening. There's a whole war right now. There's people siding up. Um, there's a lot of uh, religious warriors Chiming in, you know, the devil's on duty right now. The the demons are making this happen. Um, I'm a demon. I'm being represented by demons. Um, The devil's trying to cause all this animosity between everybody. And really, they're doing it themselves. It's a a power trip. It's like this this fight for power. So what's John Zaff's relationship with the Warrens? How how did he fit into the, the family tree? So he is the um, nephew of Ed, his sister's son, his sister's son, and he worked closely with Ed and their investigations. But when Tony took over the the Warren's son-in-law, Tony Spira, John separated himself from it. And I don't know the actual facts behind this that decision. I just know the rumors, and I know that they are not on good terms. Okay. And then Chris uh, McKinnell, is that how you say his last name? Mm-hmm. He, I think so, yeah. He claims to be a grandson? Yes, he is a grandson. Um, I recently asked to confirm this. I, I want to say he's Judy's son from her first marriage. I think that's right. So he is, a, he is a legitimate grandson. However, a lot of people do not believe he's a legitimate investigator. They do not believe anything he says holds any stock. And there is a lot of rumor for the reasons why he's not currently in the United, in the United States. So that's a pretty touchy subject for a lot of people. A lot of people really love him. And then there's a lot of people that really don't. Yeah, Ed, uh, Ed uh, Eric just... Uh confirm yeah i see that yeah i asked them because i was trying to get my facts straight so i I knew who yeah you know no no and and, and it's it's a lot to remember it's a yeah no for sure it is a lot to remember and this is something that's been going on for a long time i've heard john zaffis's name in the in the field Uh, i've never met him or spoke to him myself personally um but i have heard his name and uh knew that he was associated with the warrens but separately and uh obviously knew that there was, you know, something going on, on there. Um, in the event that I went to uh, hell by uh, Nesper in 2018, Lorraine was still alive, but she didn't attend that event. Uh, I assume, like you said, because she was, uh, you know, elderly and, and probably limiting what she was getting involved with. Um, but I, uh, I did meet um, 
Tony Spira and uh, and Judy and I got along fine and I think I told you this on your podcast I got along fine with uh, Tony especially once I found out that uh, he was a police officer I didn't know that about him so I was a current police officer when I met him so we kind of had that um, uh, you know the thin blue line kind of connection mm-hmm. and uh, of course you know I told him like you know you're director of NESPAR. I'm director of Paranormal Phenomena Research Investigation. We're a registered nonprofit organization in Canada. And so we kind of got along. But uh, after that event, um, I've reached out to him a few times, uh, you know, uh, looking to possibly bring him up here to Canada to, to speak. And every time I send an email or a Facebook message to him, um, I don't get any response. And on the Facebook message, I can actually see that he's read it, but he he uh, responded. So um, this is just, uh, this would just be like my personal uh, thoughts on it. I don't know if it's true or not, but I almost feel like, you know, when I met him, got along great with him, uh, you know, paid my money to go in there. But now that, I don't know, I kind of feel like where he's not communicating uh, with me or even sending me some sort of response, it's almost, uh, you almost feel like, you know, was he only communicating with you for the money because you yeah. paid one of their event kind of thing? That's the way that he's left me uh, feeling. So, you know, um, I guess I would have to use an I statement. I feel, uh, you know, that I was only communicated to uh, for for my money. And uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. really sad because, like I said, the New England Society for Psychic Research uh, is paranormal investigative organizations in that area and mm-hmm. my organization um, does cover the new england area as well mm-hmm. uh, we only have two investigators one in maine and one in rhode island um, and we don't get any cases i don't think we've ever had a case reported to us most of it comes from nova scotia but that's because that's where i'm at and i'm publicizing the organization here so that's where most of our attention comes from um, but there was just no cohesiveness or no partnership or no Mm -hmm. uh camaraderie camaraderie like we're both former police officers we're both directors of an organization that you know uh i know what my goals are but uh you know they apparently have the same goals to investigate to help people you know things like that to educate people um so you would think that there would be more cohesiveness but there's not yeah i'm sorry you did not bring any money you yeah, didn't bring yeah. money. <laughs> that's the way I, I was left feeling. I offered, yeah. I offered uh, to bring them up this year. I offered last year actually for our first symposium because demonology is uh, a popular topic amongst people. People want to hear about demons, and mm-hmm. obviously the media really pushes that now for all the TV shows like the Travel yeah. Channel and all the shows. Uh, you know where it's on where paranormal shows are on it's all about you know demons and evil things and scary things that's that's the flavor yeah mm-hmm. today um so last year we had uh, richard dr richard gallagher come who's a psychiatrist from the Fantastic. columbia university that mm-hmm. believes in demonic possession so he came and spoke and people loved it uh so i was trying he to get actually, he, he, he doesn't believe in the possession you know like <laughs> let's use the proper terminology here it's not just he believes he knows he knows as a psychiatrist he knows you That's know that, that uh yeah and i know that you know that but sometimes we're so used to using that kind of a language which may be just a little bit incorrect so he knows and yeah actually no he here, would go he would go that far yeah he would say that he would say that he there's no doubt in his mind you know or as that's we said, right 
as we so say in court, mm-hmm. beyond a reasonable doubt, you know, he he knows that there's some Absolutely. people that are demonically possessed. Um, but uh, I had offered, yeah, again, for a second year in a row uh, to bring Tony up and uh, no response at all. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I was yeah, going to say, I, you're, you're not the only person who feels that way, that it's just about the money. Um, I've heard that from a few people. And then if you look at the recent track record of who he is working with, it's these YouTubers that are raking in the dough with their millions and millions of views. So that says something. Yeah, it just, um, I lost, I definitely lost respect over, over like from the time I met him in 2018 until now, I, I've, I've lost respect, um, mm-hmm. you know, for, for him and, and the organization. And now they're going, they're going through, you know, quite a period as well. Um, you know, they've lost some investigators, uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of infighting and things like that going on from what I've been following. So um, what can you tell us about the current state of one of New England's oldest uh, paranormal investigative teams? So it is being run by Tony. He is the person in charge. And then he has his um, what they call the senior lead investigator, which is Dan Rivera. And then there's another man that I don't know much about. I've not looked into him yet. His name is Chris. I can't remember his last name. Eric knows. Um, he works with them too, and they've they've got their own entertainment company. It's I think it's TCD Entertainment, and that's a little off considering they're supposed to be running the organization that's supposed to be helping people with the paranormal, but now we're operating an organiz- organization about entertainment. So that kind of leans more towards things aren't exactly true for coming from them. And then there's a lot of hearsay that as far as Nesper's original mission of helping people and taking on these cases and going to people and addressing their, their concerns and situations, apparently Tony's not doing that anymore. Um, I've heard from more than one person. He doesn't even open the emails anymore. So there's no more helping. It's just roadshow. And this could be true too. Uh, the TDC Eric says uh, stands for Tony, Dan, Chris. I'm sure if you uh, probably pulled up their business, um, because it's an LLC limited mm-hmm. liability corporation down down there uh, in the US. Uh, they're probably listed as directors officers for, for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is interesting, like you said, they've registered now and have a entertainment mm-hmm. uh, limited liability corporation promoting uh, their, mm-hmm. their paranormal conferences. Um, whereas we don't, uh, paranormal phenomena research investigation hosts or, or organize organizes the Halifax Paranormal Symposium, but uh, we don't have like an entertainment agency. We do it all ourselves. We fundraise throughout the year um, to to generate money. And then obviously we hope that tickets sell for the event to help pay for it. But um, I took a big risk when I started this. I didn't have, uh, you know, and this was a big uh, discussion with my wife that's part of the organization as well, because she's our chief financial officer for the organization. And um I took a big risk because I said I wanted to host something that is in between being educational, knowing that most people don't attend very highly academic um, seminars anymore. In fact, even there's even a push now for the academics to kind of break things down into layman's terms for people because they're just not getting the audience when it's too highly academic and also entertaining as well mm-hmm. to draw in those people that love the, the, the ghost shows and the TV shows 
Yep. The things I don't watch or can't stand to watch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we kind of came to a happy medium where it's, you know, we'll bring in entertaining people, but it's also very educational and factual. And um, we, uh, we do it all ourselves. And I took that huge risk to put that on. I've lost um, because we were paying for it out of the organization and I fund the organization. So it $15,000 to host last year. If absolutely nobody came uh, to that event, I would have been out and the organization would have been out $15,000. You know what I mean? Like that was a mm -hmm. huge risk. I didn't have Hollywood to uh, back my name up right. or anything like that. Like um, I find that they're very fortunate in the paranormal world. If they were to use whatever they're uh, doing for good mm -hmm. um, to have that behind them because they already have their following behind them. Yeah. Whereas, work to build our following mm -hmm. well people we are in the wrong business here yeah <laughs> how, how come we're standing on the right side we gotta be taking left one to get the sex of money coming our way yeah. right <laughs> nevertheless yeah. we also want, want to be authentic and stand for the truth and this is what we do here mm -hmm. we have a, a very good comment here kathy commented oh hi kathy <laughs> She says that, yeah, having the gift of discernment, being able to be a good investigator and a psychic reading is a blessing meant to help those in need. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. I agree. Mm -hmm. However, a lot of the times we don't even need to have the uh, supposed gift of discernment. We are being taught that way that some people do have a gift of discernment and some don't. In fact, we do, all of us do. It is called intuition. Mm -hmm. And if we listen to it closely, or at least closer, not necessarily too close, we will know what is happening uh, around us we will know what's happening with us it's just mm -hmm. we have to trust ourselves a little more because uh as kathy says that um, there's a psychic reading what is a psychic reading you know uh that is exactly is the same kind of intuition and if we just turn it on we will be able to know much more than we started out with but it does help with investigations and some people are willing to see that and some people are not and uh, I cannot stress enough uh, that we should not be believing everything that we're told we have to turn on our rational mind and uh, to check the facts and if we don't know the facts so at least turn on our intuition mm-hmm yeah, I, that's a fine line I struggle with myself. Um, another big reason I got into the making this podcast was because I'm the type of person who, when somebody comes to me with this phenomenal story of a haunting or an experience they've had, or if I see it on TV or in a movie, my first initial reaction every time is, oh my God, that's amazing. And then I have to <laughs> step back, be like, okay, wait a minute, like look at it figure out exactly what's going on what first caused me to feel that way what is you know actually happening versus what I want to be happening and a lot of people don't do that a lot of people just want to be entertained they're not looking to think rationally about what they've just seen or heard so I think Nesper's playing on that a lot with the the touring of the haunted objects people just want to see and experience them they don't care like if it's dangerous or if it's real or, you know, they want to, they want to have this experience they've heard about. Oh, absolutely. We have a question for you, Stevie. Uh, Terry asks, would you know how large uh, Nespar is? How many members they have? Um, 
I'm pretty sure it's like five people. So they've got Tony, Dan, and Chris. And then I think there's two more people that help. Um, I think Jimmy Peginino is part of Nesper still. Um, I think someone just left. I think a man named Rick either just left or was talking about leaving. Um, there's there's so much going on in, in that community right now. Like, there's a lot of um, mudslinging and there's a lot of uh, people trying to backtrack and fix things that have come out. And yeah, it's getting kind of crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, 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 it is. And I, part of me, part of me sympathizes with Tony a little bit about certain things. So um, for example, there can be infighting in your, in an organization, even something as, as small as Nesper. I actually dealt with it uh, back in the, it would have been late nineties, early two thousands when uh, the TV series were just starting to kick off. I think the first one was uh um, the Taps uh, series, their uh, Ghost Ghost Hunters, is that mm. what they called themselves? Was it just Ghost Hunters? Oh, I think it was just Ghost Hunters, yeah. Yeah, I think it was just Ghost Hunters by Taps. And uh, we had kind of a splinter group break off from our organization because they really wanted to start kind of going down the, the TV mode. And uh, it didn't align with what the objectives of the organization was. We weren't going out there to be, uh, you know, Jason and Grant from Taps and, mm-hmm. and get and, and things like that. Um, our our job is to focus on helping clients and doing research and, and paranormal investigations and education. And that caused a big rift and they ended up secretly creating their own group and kind of just fizzled out and disappeared. So I understand, uh, you know, kind of the uh, some of the politics that can happen with, with running uh, an organization like that. And for mm-hmm. that part, I, I do kind of sympathize uh, for him because I know it, it can be a headache uh, mm-hmm. for sure, but it's, um, it's not, it, it's not good if you're running like a professional organization. You know what I mean? Like we're registered uh, federally across Canada. We're incorporated in the state of Massachusetts, uh, the Commonwealth of Mass- Massachusetts, and we're registered also in the province of Nova Scotia. And I, I, I'm part of the board of directors and, and my board of directors has a say in what I do now, right now they're really happy with me, but that could change. And they could oust me, oust me out of my own organization that I once started. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. what happens when you become a registered organization and you run it like a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have people that you have to answer to. And I, I guess Nespar is probably not on that level. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that, uh, they have a formal board of directors and mm-hmm. obviously they're not a, uh, what's the nonprofit status down there? In- yeah. I don't think they're a nonprofit. Up, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I don't think they are. Yeah. They're no, like- I don't think they, I don't think they are either. Cause I had talked to you uh, off, off air about um, nonprofits in the States mm-hmm. have to, uh, or charities have to yes, disclose yes. their finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't yeah. think that is considered a, a I think they operate like a business. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. Well, probably like a, an LLC, almost like the entertainment. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they're, they've registered as a business, but they definitely operate as one. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's fascinating. Um, and like I said, uh, they are, it's, it's sad to kind of see them go through that really, you know, like uh, putting people and the personalities aside, it's sad to see like one of the oldest uh, paranormal investigative organizations yeah. down that way kind of going through this. 
Yeah, hmm. I'm hearing from a lot of people they're pretty they're just disheartened over it because they grew up following it. They grew up following the Warrens and it's not at all what it was and people are noticing. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, I've noticed it even just on social media. Like you're starting to to really notice it. Mm -hmm. um, what do you have coming up on your podcast, uh, Truth and Demons? What uh, what are you what have you been working on? What are you planning on releasing soon? Uh, I have so much. I wish I could just like I wish I could just freeze time and get them all done <laughs> so I could put them out all at once because it's so good. But I have coming up. I have another interview. Um, I, I spoke with another person who worked closely with Nesper and who experienced some things with the with the Warrens. And um, I have my episode on Arnie Cheyenne Johnson coming up. That's my next main episode. And I've got a lot to cover in that one. I have been speaking to a lot of people and getting a lot of different perspectives. That new documentary that came out was so enlightening and it, it really helped with that research. And then I'm really looking forward to doing some more bonus episodes. I'm covering a bonus episode. Um, since I'm doing YouTube now, I'm going to work on a couple of like debunking style videos where I show what's happening and then explain why or what is going on and why it's not truly paranormal. So I'm really excited about that. And then um, I'll have some more guests soon. And eventually I want to cover the scandals. I want to do a whole episode on every scandal, every lawsuit, everything that gets people so skeptical on the Warrens. So there's a whole slew of information there too. That um, sounds so interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, with uh, speaking of the the last documentary there that was on um, Netflix, the, uh, Netflix. Yeah, it was based on uh, the Getzel case, which. Mm -hmm. uh, was part of the Conjuring series. Um, yep, the last Conjuring film. Yep. Yeah, the the Conjuring three. Um, the devil made me do it. Yeah, that. Devil one. made me do it. Yeah. Um, have you thought about having uh, having him on on your show? So, I have thought about reaching out to Arnie. However, he is very tight with Tony, and Tony is not my biggest fan right now, or ever probably. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be someone he likes. Um, however, I have spoken to some other people involved and we'll be releasing that and I'm keeping it under wraps now because we're still working on it, but there is some stuff I've got up my sleeve for that episode. I'm very excited about. I've got some debunks for that one that I'm very excited about. And, um, also I've recently, I've been working with some local artists, um, some people around Tennessee and they draw me up cute little things for merch. And each episode, I like to do a little themed drawing to go with it. And so I've got a fun one coming for that, too. Interesting. So Getzel is still very tight with uh, Nesper. What about... Oh, no, no. I'm sorry. Arnie. Arnie is tight. Um, oh, the glass oh, Arnie is. Yeah, oh, I'm really? sorry. I thought you meant Arnie. So Arnie's very tight with Tony. And they... Even, they... After, even after that documentary? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure they did a live. I'm not, re I don't remember when the live was, but they did a live together with uh, um, James Anito and another, and a woman who um, specializes in serial killers. And they did a whole thing and they seemed very close then. And, um, but David, David doesn't speak to anybody. Uh, he did the, the documentary, but as far as I know, he's not speaking to anyone. So David won't be an option, but I, I have heard some things about David from some people close to him. So I'll be sharing those as well. So there's so much like 
I didn't, when I started um, researching for this one, I started researching it right before the movie came out. And I like to put, if there's a movie, I like to do it if, um, like, if it's coming out soon. I don't want to put the episode out until people have seen the movie. Because what I like to do is talk about the movie, talk about what happens, how they've written the story, how it goes, and then write it. Fix the things that have been misconstrued or misconveyed. And let people understand where the changes happened. So I started working on it before the movie came out, then the movie came out and then the documentary came out and I was about to put the episode out. And then I saw the announcement for the documentary and I was like, well, I have to wait. I have to see what happens. And then the stuff they dropped in the documentary, like the whole possible Munchausen by proxy from the Glatzel's, the mom from Judy Glatzel onto her children. That was pretty intense. And that was an accusation um, brought up by the brother Carl he said that he found out his mom was drugging them every night and it's a harmless yeah. drug when you take it as, as needed. But when you don't, when you take it long-term, the stuff I found out about this drug is going to blow people's minds. I had no idea. My boyfriend actually, he's, he's really scientific and he likes to study a lot of things. And one of the things he likes to study is the effects that different substances have on the body. And he knows of this website that he directed me to that has firsthand accounts of people who have abused that drug on purpose. So they tell their stories and what happened to them. And the similarities are bizarre. And you yeah, can't I, tell I, us the drug's name. It's um okay, so it's Somonex. What it, what it was called then? The brand name was Somonex, and it's essentially Benadryl. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, no, because the the Ernie Johnson thing, I was surprised of because he was basically upset that um, people were making money off of uh, basically his story. Is the gist of the documentary? Um, mm -hmm. And then there was that one brother, like you said, that it was interesting. Everyone else in the documentary said that paranormal things happened except for that one brother there was just that one brother that had talked mm -hmm. yeah witness anything paranormal yep. and i thought that was interesting because you yep. had all the other witnesses that kind of said you know some and then you had one yeah that just said you know, yeah happened, and then kind of they were a lot of them said um they were influenced a lot by judy the children so anything she would have said, they would have gone along with. And then he wasn't interviewed on the show, but Carl did bring him up. Even the other sons, um, David, and I can't remember the other brother's name, they brought him up, the father. He didn't believe in it either. He wasn't interviewed on the documentary, but there is a scene where they talk about how David was having a possession fit, like possession yes. fit, and the dad comes in and says, knock it off, swats him, and goes back to his room, and it, it's done. Like, if it was yeah. really a demon... Dad's not going to put it into it. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, they said in the documentary, I, I, the brother had said once a dad had uh, struck him, um, he kind of snapped snapped out of it kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, very, very fascinating. You definitely uh, dig deep into uh, the Warrens and, and their investigations. I think it's great because it's all factual. Like you've gone to archives, you've pulled up records. Um, you're not spreading, you know, misinformation. You're going to the sources and interviewing uh, firsthand people, not thirdhand information. And you stipulate where you don't know whether or not, you know, this is hearsay, but this is, you know, what mm -hmm. I heard. As a, you know, so it, it's great. I think the work you're doing is great. Uh, hopefully you continue to do it. Where can people find you? Any of our listeners that are out there that want to, uh, listen to uh, Truth for Demons podcast or uh, maybe send you some information that they may have on uh, 
what you're yeah for sure first of all thank you so much for having me on i've had the best time it's been so much fun but yes yes. great pleasure thank you and it was so nice to meet you too yana this has been great um so yeah you can find me on youtube now um truth or demons podcast on youtube and every podcast platform i'm on truth or demons podcast um you can also email me if you have any questions if you want to send me a story i do like to share the listener stories i have a little segment where i do that um, my email is truthordemonspodcast at gmail.com. Also on all the social medias, uh, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Truth or Demons Podcast. You can mes- message me there, comment. And I try to reply to everybody. If I miss it, um, don't think I'm being rude. I probably just didn't see it. So send another message or comment and just be like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I know you're busy because you work and you do all this uh, on the side. You almost need to be compensated and paid to just do this full time because it is you know turning into a full-time absolutely job. i would absolutely. love to do it full time I, I um my slow season's coming up for work so i'll actually i'll be putting out some more here coming up soon i'm very excited oh that's fantastic i can't wait uh, i definitely listen to your podcast because it's always uh so interesting um appreciate you coming uh everyone you tonight you were listening to science and the paranormal uh we broadcast live on the united public radio network the ufo Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM out of New Orleans and also on Roku TV. If you please uh, give us a like, a follow, subscribe, share, and comment. There were lots of comments tonight, which is great to see. Uh, it just helps support uh, Dr. Yana and I on this podcast. And um, if you have any questions as well, we do have a website. It's scienceandparanormalpodcast.com. Our email is scienceandtheparanormal at ppri.net. Um, feel free to reach out to us. And Stevie, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, Absolutely. It was great. Um, it was good to get thank you some, very much. some of that misinformation out there and cleared up. And uh, yeah, if you want the facts and you want someone to dig deep. Go to Stevie. <laughs> thank you guys so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, have a All good right, night, guys. everyone. You too. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye.